Welcome to the Campus Fellowship Podcast. This is our first podcast interview, and we want to highlight for you a resource on our website that we think will be a blessing to your life. My name is Jacob Bennett, and I serve as the Executive Director of Campus Fellowship, which exists to equip local churches in a common mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ on college campuses who worship God and change the world. Uh, With me today is Melody Wigdahl. Melody, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Melody. Most people call me Mel. Uh, I handle a lot of the media content creation, and I am running the mixer for this podcast and maybe asking some questions too. Great, great. Uh, And with us also today is John Hastings from Vintage Faith Church in Manhattan. Welcome, John. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, John, you uh, recently wrote an article about the rise and triumph of the modern self. Um, But before we get into that, um, I thought it would just be good for for people to get to know you a little bit um, and wanted to figure out um, how did the Lord call you into Mm -hmm. ministry? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So I became a Christian in college, and uh, my freshman year I became a Christian, and... um, I don't know. I had a degree in education and in biology, and uh, I taught for you know five years. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it had always been the plan to go into the ministry. So even from my first year of teaching, I knew I wanted to be a pastor. And mm-hmm. I have a bit of a unique story on how that happened. Um, I was reading uh, John twenty one one day, and Jesus was talking to Peter and saying, "You know, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep." And um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this doesn't happen. Often, but the Lord really used that verse powerfully that day in that moment to speak to me Hmm. and tell me to feed a sheep. And so I don't tell a lot of people to go looking for signs like that. I don't think that's the the normal way people, uh, God necessarily calls people to ministry, but that's the way he did it for me. And it's brought great assurance. And that's um, ever since then, that's been my pursuit. And uh, by his grace, I'm a pastor today in Manhattan, Kansas. So. Well, that's wonderful. I I can sense that you're a teacher whenever I hear you speak. So um, <laughs> that's good to hear. So a uh, little bit about the book that you wrote an article about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a little bit about how we're doing this interview is that I've read the article, uh, but Melody has not read the article. So we have both of us asking you questions mm-hmm. so that uh, maybe all of our listeners can uh, learn a little bit more and be just motivated to maybe go and read uh, what you've written about uh, this book. So uh, one question I had was, well, what caused you to open it up and crack it open? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I uh, hit, a, hit a period where people were asking me questions, and I, I would maybe know the right answer, but I wouldn't know why it was the right answer, about how we should live our life and how we should view the world and how uh, the Bible and the gospel applies to every area of life. And so I kind of recognized that I had a deficiency in my worldview, right? Like I, mm. I knew the end, but I didn't know the whys necessarily. And so there were a couple years there where I just really wanted to form a Christian worldview and know why I believe the things I believed and it didn't believe. And this book had really great reviews on Goodreads. <laughs> a lot of friends. <laughs> oh, we love it. Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A few one stars from the people that made me think <laughs> maybe I should read this book, right? Uh, and and so I decided to to crack it open and give it a shot. That's great. When this book first came out, I devoured it, yeah, and yeah. my wife, Dina, she loved it as well. We've recommended it yeah. to almost everyone we've talked me to, too. so I wasn't yeah. sure if I recommended it to you at some point or not, um, but I don't think I did, and so I was really surprised when you wrote this article. It's sure. like, yes, this is my favorite book yeah. of the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
Uh, so one thing that you wrote about was you wrote about a lot of the different thinkers that Carl yeah. Truman uh, walks through, um, like Rousseau, Darwin, Nietzsche, Freud, Marx, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, whatever you want to call. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any of those thinkers that stood out to you? Before we dive in. Um, oh, yeah. Can you guys give me a summary of what the book is, is about? This book? Like, what, <laughs> that's a great idea. Like oh, that's a great idea. That's why I have a general idea. We're just ready to it. jump in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, can, I can do that. Um, and Jacob, feel free to fill in the gaps. You know, uh, so this book, uh, the the central question that he's asking, that he opens up, he says, what this book is about is trying. He, so Carl Truman's a historian. He's an historian, right? And so he is trying to outline the history of thought that has led us to the place where a man can can say, I am a woman. And if you don't affirm that, that people look at you like you're kind of crazy, right? And so he, sa- he tells a story about his grandpa, and he says, in his grandpa's time, if somebody would say that, uh, you know, say um, if a man would say he's a woman, his grandpa would look at them like they're crazy, you know? Now, today, which is not that far, right, if, if you... If you look at them like you're, they're crazy, you're the crazy one. And so he's, he's just trying to understand how do we get here? You know, how do we get to the point where we're, we're here? Jacob, is that? You yeah, you hit it right on the head. Um, and I think it's important to know that he's really trying to diagnose culture. Mm-hmm. He doesn't offer a lot solutions, of yeah. solutions where to go, but it's a great diagnosis of culture. Yeah. Um, so, so considering that, great question, Mel. Um, of the different thinkers, which one really, as he was explaining them, maybe struck you? Yeah. I, I've been most struck by Rousseau's impact on culture. I think, uh, you know, Rousseau, uh, he read Augustine's Confessions, and, and Augustine has this scene in the Confessions, I don't know if you've ever read it, where he steals some pears with his friends. Right? Anybody? Some nods. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he uh, he says he realizes afterwards he didn't even eat the pear. He wasn't hungry. He just threw the pear and let it rot. And 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 he he go later on he diagnoses why he stole the pear. Why did he sin? As because he wanted to, basically. You know, he he was sinful in and of himself, right? He wanted to sin even outside of wanting the pear. It wasn't because he was hungry. Rousseau reads that same story, and he has a similar story in his own life. And he says, why did I steal? Why did I do that thing? He says, it's because I wanted to please my friends. It's because there were these outside social pressures that led me to do this wrong thing. And Rousseau uses that as an example, and he develops it into this idea that, you know, mankind are basically good. Mankind is basically at their core good, but because of all the pressures of society, we do bad things. Does that make sense? And this is where his idea of noble savage comes from, right? If you could find a savage that is free from civilization's impacts, they would be a good, noble person. And um, that, that, I think, our world has swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. And it, and it can, it, when we understand that that was his idea and we understand its implications in societies, I think it makes a lot of things make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another thing, um, so in his book, he draws a distinction between uh, traditional cultures that he calls mimetic, where people get their identity from the people around them, mm-hmm. um, and more modern cultures that he terms poietic. And he's borrowing these terms from elsewhere, but poietic, where uh, the identity of a person comes from within. Um, could you elaborate more on that? Because I feel like that's a very central mm-hmm. theme of his throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, as I've talked to you about this, Jacob, like 
you know, we <laughs> have historically, and, and you maybe even know this better than me, so chime in, you know, but, uh, you know, historically, mankind has mostly received their identity. If your dad was a blacksmith, you could guess you were going to be a blacksmith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that was accepted and, you know, arranged marriages were, you know, more normal in, in ancient cult- cultures. And, and so I think, you know, that's kind of what he's getting at is this idea of receiving, uh, you know, living within your culture, not necessarily trying to push the boundaries. You know, the honorable way of life is to not push the boundaries. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in, in the modern day culture, the, uh, the honorable way of life is to find your own way. You know, right. the honorable way is to not go with the flow. The, it, you're inauthentic. In fact, if you just go with the flow and in the way to be truly authentic and to truly have honors to create your own path, your own identity, who you are. Right. And so maybe the flip side of that would be in a mimetic culture, traditional culture, you conform to what other people call you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a modern culture, poetic, uh, the world around you conforms to what you say you are. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. 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 And I good. think that's exactly what you're saying. Yep. Um, so as Christians, what should we do? Should we affirm modern or or traditional mm-hmm. identity formations? Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it it seems to me like our culture has swung so far into the poetic, you know, that uh, you know, when I say poetic. I don't mean you know, I don't mean writing poetry. Right? <laughs> uh, they've swung yep. so, so far in that direction of individualistic, make your own identity, go your own way. Who you know what I mean? All the Disney narratives. You know that voice that's inside you is who you are. Right? No rules for me. I'm free. You know, if you're a Frozen fan like me, of three daughters. Okay. Uh, we've swung so far in that direction that I think it would be wise of us to really uh, think long and hard about the the benefits of receiving your identity and not just creating your identity, right? So um, I think in general, uh, the, the scriptures teach us that our identity is something that we receive from God. It's something that's given to us, and that's actually a huge blessing. It's actually not, uh, it, it's not a restraint. It's given to us for our good and helps us to know how to live our lives, what obligations we have and don't have, uh, what's good and what's bad, what decisions we should shouldn't make, right? It helps us to live our lives, um, but I, I do think it can go too far, you know. Like I think there were some real things they were pushing against with the individualistic culture. So, yeah, and that is very important to understand. Know that our identity in Christians is a received identity, um, and I think you know that Christianity even balances both. That not only do we re- receive an identity, but mm-hmm. we, we receive a personhood mm-hmm. um, from God, yeah. and that Christianity holds both in attention that without Christ, without God, it seems like the world is going to go from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think one of the major themes of Scripture is that we were all, in a sense, we all received this identity of enslaved to sin mm-hmm. when we were born, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're, in a sense, we're in the world, and Jesus came to set us free from that, right? That's kind of a poetic concept almost, right? Poetic concept, however you say that word, is that he, he came to deliver us from this received identity of enslaved to sin and dead in our sin and really make us who we were always meant to be, right? Uh, children of um, children of God. And so mm-hmm. in that sense, um, you, know, you know, I think there is some poetic elements to the gospel of really setting us free to be who we were always meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. 
Well, John, you end your article talking about the role of the church to have compassion on people who've bought into the lies of our yeah. culture about their identity. Yeah. Um, and I just thought uh, it would be good to ask you, um, how can the normal everyday Christian do this um, on their college campus or mm-hmm. uh, in their workplace in mm-hmm. a culture where they say, I don't feel loved mm-hmm. when you don't affirm the identity that I've chosen? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the first and most important thing is that you really do have compassion. And, mm-hmm. and I think that for me, at least one of the things that I've experienced is I have way more compassion when I understand where they're coming from. So if I'm afraid of uh, a viewpoint that, oh gosh, maybe it's right, or I don't really understand, but don't ask me too many questions about it. So, you know what I mean? I can just move on. You know, this is the right answer. And it, when I don't understand why people hold the views they hold, it's much more difficult for me to actually have compassion. And so I think that's what I, I love most about uh, Carl Truman's book is as I was reading it, I was like, oh man, I believe these are lies. I believe Rousseau was lying. I believe Marx is a lie. I believe, believe Freud that were basically sexual beings. I think those are lies, but they're actually, those authors, they're super compelling. Like it's, it's easy to believe those things. There are some things that they say that are, uh, that are convincing. And that led me to understand why somebody would be convinced by that, why they would believe freedom is to be found here. You know what I'm saying? In these views. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I really understand why they believe that and that they're looking for freedom and they're looking for, uh, authenticity and joy, I think understanding that actually cultivated a true compassion in me. And, and, and that's really uh, the most important thing, right? I'm not, I'm actually not sure that we can convince our culture that we're, that we love them. Even if we really do love them, we actually have compassion, yeah. right? Because um, the most loving thing I can do, I, I truly believe this. The most loving thing I can do is to not post my pronouns on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Like by, by posting those pronouns, what I'm doing is I'm affirming that worldview. I'm saying you actually Uh might not know if I'm a boy or a girl. So I'm going to post these so that you'll know. And it's affirming the worldview that your identity is something that can be molded and created at will. Uh And affirming that identity actually leads to an incredible amount of pain and suffering. Uh So the most loving thing I believe I can do is not post those pronouns. And, and, and I think someday I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for that and praise God. He's, you know, he judges by the heart. Mm-hmm. And so if I truly have compassion and I truly love and I'm truly wanting their good by not doing that, I think that's the most important thing, you know, yeah. and by God's grace, maybe some in the trans community will see, no, I think he actually loves me. He's mm-hmm. not calling me by this name. You know, he's not doing this or that or the other, but I actually think maybe he really loves me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would just have to be by God's grace. I'm not sure there's anything we can do mm. outside of telling them I love you, you, you know, but I'm not sure yeah. they would believe us to convince them. So, Yeah. Well, we certainly need a lot of wisdom and discernment from the Lord to know how to navigate a lot of these uh, tricky cultural waters and, uh, and obey Christ and, and all he's commanded us. So, John, thank you so much for yeah. joining us and for highlighting this article. Uh, listeners, if you... Uh, found this uh, conversation uh, stimulating for your faith, uh, you can look at the show notes and there will be a link to uh, the article. And I think John and I would both also recommend that you buy the book, (laughs) (laughs) The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, or if you want the shorter version, um, A Strange New World, um, and read it for yourself. So thank you for joining us. 
Campus Fellowship is a student organization designed to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. If you found this encouraging, we invite you to subscribe or follow for more content or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Thanks for listening.